This is Passing for Normal, conversations with authors, artists, activists, and awakeners about how they are seeding change in the world. I'm Sharon Weil, author of Donnie and Ursula Save the World, the funniest book about love, sex, and GMO seeds you'll ever read. But mostly, it's about everyday courage and what it takes to get there in your own personal, even unconventional way. So join us for fun and insightful discussion with some very inspirational people about how to turn purpose and passion into action, while at the same time, passing for normal. Welcome to Passing for Normal. Today, my guest is visual artist and life artist, the multi-talented painter, permaculturist, and group facilitator, Adam Wolpert. Adam Wolpert draws his inspiration from his understanding of the relationships in nature and his own relationship to nature. As a painter, he investigates movement, balance, and cycles, and the subtle distinction between representational and abstract art. Adam has had many solo and group shows exhibiting his work. In 1994, Adam co-founded the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center in Occidental, California, bringing together permaculture, art, and whole systems thinking. In addition to its wide array of vital permaculture programs and courses, founding members of OAEC live in an intentional community that serves as a model for integrated living life, work, and land. As director of the OAEC Arts Program, Adam helps others explore the connections between art education and practice and holistic, sustainable thinking, illuminating the essential links between observable processes in natural systems and creative processes in human beings. As the co-director of the Intentional Communities Program, Adam offers workshops on group process and organizational structure, as well as serving as a group facilitator for many nonprofit organizations and private companies. And what is so incredible about Adam is how he puts it all together. Welcome, Adam. Thank you, Sharon. What a kind introduction. Well, <laughs> it's just the beginning. I'm so thrilled to be talking to you. I'm so thrilled to be talking to you um, because you're such a fascinating person. You have the amazing ability to see relationships and systems um, and to bring it into all kinds of different forms. Um, it's, it's artful. Whatever you do is art. So um, since this show is about change, and we know everything is always changing all the time, especially when we look to nature and our own natures, um, I'd like you to talk for a moment about how you work with change in any and all of your expressions. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So I, I have these two um, different activities which are very related. Painting, often painting outside directly from nature, and then working with groups as a facilitator. And in both cases, you're witnessing a dynamic uh, process. You know, one of the things that's interesting mm -hmm. about change is when you start talking about change, you pretty quickly get into a lot of paradox because everything's always changing. Everything's dynamic and moving all the time on the one hand. But then on the other hand, people are often in groups talking about how frustrated they are that things can't change and people <laughs> right. talk about being stuck and about being locked up and about 
needing to change and coming up with all these theories of change and approaches to change, uh, even <laughs> when we're approaching systems that, that are moving all the time. So as a painter, I, I think when I'm looking at nature, if you're looking at the ocean or, or the sky or just any part of nature that is lit by the sun, things are moving all the time and you can't really capture them, but you have to because a painting is a static thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think what I've come to is to look more for the pattern of change and um, really go into that because the pattern is really the language of change. And if you can see the pattern and the structures that underlie that pattern and form it, then you can really engage something that's more more stable and static even as the surface keeps reinventing itself and, and, and keeps moving and keeps changing. So are you, so as an artist, what patterns are you observing? What patterns are you working with? Well, I think that you can see that um, relationship is being expressed all throughout nature. And when you're looking at something, you're usually looking at the expression of a relationship. For example, if you look at fish, and mm-hmm. you try to depict them or, or um, understand them visually, as you see them swimming around in the water, you see that the form of the fish, expression of its relationship with the water, the form only makes sense in relationship with what it does and how it is in, in its mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. And that all of these relationships are expressed over and over again around us through form. And that's a fascinating thing to also look for in groups. When when I'm doing group work and I have a group that's changing, there's an underlying pattern that that change will be expressed by. And when mm-hmm. you find the pattern, then you can engage in a more meaningful way. And are you finding the pattern because you're just so experienced with working groups with groups and so you see, oh, this is this pattern, I've seen this before? Or or are you are you actually um observing uh, is this sort of like the, the the shape of the wake of their uh coming up against each other in certain ways? I th- well, I think both is true. I mean I think that there's a lot of ground that's already been walked in this field. It's a really rich mm-hmm. field. And there's been so much study of group dynamics that goes back, I mean, all the way back to the early, early 20th century. Um, you know, Lewin, Kurt Lewin brought up this whole idea of group dynamics. And one of his core ideas is this idea of to um, change something in a group. There are these three steps, unfreeze, change, and refreeze. Or sometimes it's it said freeze, change, freeze, or freeze, melt, freeze. And it's mm-hmm. this idea that if you've got a, a, a big circle of ice and you want a square of ice, you don't try to carve the circle into a square. You melt it and then freeze it in the square. And so mm-hmm. this idea that change is usually a journey, that there are these stages from from one frozen state or stable state to another, and that moving from one state to another usually involves uh, a process which engages discomfort and misunderstanding or, or difficulty or chaos or um, things falling apart. 
Mm-hmm. And if you can locate a group in those stages, you can work with them much more effectively. You know, there's some moments when groups need to fall apart in order to come back together. And there are other groups, there are other moments when groups are just about to crystallize the new thing and there might be a, a, a rush of anxiety or a panic um, about the discomfort because when groups change, they often move out of their comfort zone and people become uncomfortable. And then the facilitator's job is to not let it fall apart, but to, you know, let that process end and let the new crystallization form fully and, and take on its own new stability. So the patterns um, are recognized through experience, but I think you can also study um, things like, like Lewin and, and many other people who have worked this out and, and really um, learned from that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, when I hear you talking about freeze and melt and freeze again, I think about water and the different stages of water and the presence of water in nature and how water is such a shaper of of whatever is in its environment as well as being shaped by its environment. And I know that you've told me before that you um, – that you are a rafter, that you are a paddler, that you've spent time on the river studying water. I'm, yeah, I really have learned so much from watching water in nature. And, uh, you know, one of the things that always strikes me is how when you're looking at a whole system, you usually see a, a very small part of it on, you know, what, what might be re- um, called the surface of the system like the the cover of the book. And when you're looking at water, if you're looking at a river and if you're rafting, if you raft rivers, you often go and um, scout, you know, and you'll stand on top of a rock mm-hmm. and look down into the valley. And the first thing you see is all of this foam. But if you if you stand there for a while and you study the river, you start to see these, these flows, these patterns. And the patterns are really expressing like with the fish, the patterns are expressing the relationship the river has to that canyon and the structure of the canyon. And That's when right. you go deeper... Hmm? No, just yeah, to say you, the patterns also tell you where the rocks are. They tell you where the rocks are, and the rocks can help you predict where the water is going to go. And mm-hmm. the way water comes into relationship with its surroundings is often both passive and active at the same time. It conforms to its surroundings, but it also is energized and invigorated by by its surroundings. And that kind of relational quality that water has, I just think, is so magical and um, powerful. Yeah, well, you know that the work that I do in continuum and teaching continuum is all about water and all about working with fluids. And I just want to share with the listeners that you were you were facilitating a group that I was involved in. And when you began, um, you not only brought in a typed-up moment-to-moment agenda, but you brought in this sketch of a river that was laying out the territory, basically, that we were going to need to cover over the day and over these several days. And you drew in the rapids, and you drew the where we could possibly eddy out and take a breath, and I just thought it was brilliant. I fell in love with you right then and there. 
Oh, well, yeah, that was really fun. That's sometimes my, the most fun thing I do when I put together these uh, these agendas. But what what really is powerful about that, I think, is the idea of having a framework, having a map. Everybody knows when you go on a trip, having a map doesn't mean you know what's going to happen. All That's kinds right. of things mm-hmm. happen that are unexpected. But if you have some way to locate yourself within a process, within a broader framework, mm-hmm. um, I, think, I think usually you, ha- you, you do better. You have a better chance of, of surviving, of, of not getting too caught up in the trees, you know, seeing the forest. And one of the things I've learned over the years facilitating um, is to, as much as possible, give the group a framework wherein they can locate themselves mm-hmm. in their process of change. And those there there are different frameworks and they can be really, really transformative. Um yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely yeah. just Sam Canner what has some a, of those are. Sam Canner has a wonderful one um in his book about pers- uh, participatory decision making. And he has he has this this diagram that he drew which on the left side has something called um, a, a point of, of uh, initiation, and then on the right side is a point of closure. And when a group sets out on a journey to change something, uh, it might be in the form of a proposal, the group first goes into this uh, realm of divergent thinking, which is at first very exciting, but then quickly becomes very unnerving and Mm -hmm. anxiety-producing because everybody's kind of moving away from each other at their thinking. And then at a certain point, the anxiety that's produced by all this divergent thinking begins a a dynamic of convergence. And then people start thinking convergently and building on each other ideas. And it's almost like if you imagine on a molecular level a bunch of big molecules getting pulled apart and all these little particles floating around and then them starting to come together and form new molecules. Mm-hmm. And as yeah. you move into this convergent zone, you move toward resolving your situation in, in, a, in a positive way. In between divergent and convergent thinking is this thing that he calls the grown zone, uh, which is um, very much like the, the, for, the storming period in group evolution, where a bunch of people together suddenly have this panic the sense of, mm-hmm. oh, no, you know, we're, we're, it's all wrong. We're doing the wrong thing. We're with the wrong people. This is taking too long, you know, whatever. And if you can, at that moment of panic, show everyone from a higher altitude where mm-hmm. they are in a bigger process, there yeah. can be just this extraordinary, not only relief, but um, refreshment and kind of empowerment. Uh, that comes into the group as people sort of say, oh, okay, well, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel or, you know, there there is something right about this very difficult part of the journey. Right. Not only Not only are we lost, but we're supposed to be lost. We're supposed to be lost. And in, in the creative process, absolutely critical. I mean, many, many people have discussed this and books have been written about how our most creative state is the state of muddle, the state yeah. of confusion, the, the that right. place between waking and sleeping, that place where we really don't know what we're doing. And out of that, it's like out of the muck, you know, comes the lotus. Out of that confused place 
comes, emerges something which never could have been imagined um, without going into that, that confusion or that muddle. And, you know, people can do this without having any idea that what they're doing has been done before and they're on a, they're, you know, they're, in, they're, they're part of the human pilgrimage toward change, toward whatever people are walking for it. But it's much easier when you understand uh, the system in some larger sense. And that's something that facilitators can do um, for groups and it's something that artists can do for themselves. Once you've been, I mean, I've been painting for almost 30 years now. And when I get into that difficult muddle, um, I, I can recognize that and appreciate it for what it is rather than panicking and thinking maybe I'm not real or something, you know, maybe, maybe I got lost on the way. Right. So how do you actually work with those moments as a painter? I think so much of it um, gets back to the body and mm-hmm. um, and, right. and being um, able to connect with oneself as a whole being. I think that uh, a lot of the, the kind of anxiety or worry or doubt is lodged somewhere in the brain and the intellect. And mm-hmm. breathing and feeling, sensing... Um, feeling my feet on the ground, those things really help. I think the other thing that is like a mantra, I guess I repeat to myself, is, is just to return to the idea that it's all process, that having a fundamental process orientation where, I mean, as an artist, you create works of art so there are products, and along the yeah. way we have um, moments of outcome you might have an object you can put on the wall. But those moments and those objects really are beside the point. I think the point is that you're involved in a continuum, in a, in a process. Groups, it's the same thing. You know, groups think, oh, if we get agenda item B3 done, we can all relax and it'll be kind of over. But, of course, mm-hmm. as soon as you get one thing done, there's another thing to do. And when you really embrace that process orientation, then you you start to I think appreciate every part of every part of the of the of the system or every part of the experience, even the models, even the displeasure. I mean, sometimes you meet married couples who understand this so well that they take a certain pleasure in fighting. You know, because mm-hmm. they're good they're good at it, and <laughs> and they don't shy away from it. Um, so I I think. Yeah, I think turning to a process orientation, remembering the other parts of my body and uh, mm-hmm. trying to really breathe into those things, I mean, that that, that helps. Um, and then, of course, storytelling. I mean, remembering stories from your own past where those muddles led to breakthroughs and mm-hmm. hearing yeah. stories from others, um, that can also be very powerful. Yeah. So, you know, when I look at your paintings, um, especially the more abstract paintings, uh, this series that that I got to see up close, uh, the 12 Premonitions, which are so dynamic, these, these swirls and vortexes of, of color, they're so dynamic and active, and that is what you would call the product of a process. 
And yet, right. you know, um, there's nothing static. I mean, I know that the paint's on canvas, and there it is, and the paint itself isn't moving anymore, but but the actual images are continuing to be so dynamic. Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 so, again, it's this paradox. I mean, to express the dynamic nature of nature in a static thing, just, you know, by its very nature is paradoxical. And uh, I don't think I understand um, what I'm doing there. I think I just know that I'm engaged in an authentic search um, Mm -hmm. in, in you know, in 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 a process which led me somewhere. And when I'm painting those abstract paintings in the studio, I am being led as much as I'm leading. So it's this mm-hmm. kind of engagement. It's a dialogue. It's a, it's a call and response with the paint. And the scale of those paintings is kind of human body scale. They're four by five feet, so they're about as big as a person. And mm-hmm. there's something about engaging them physically that is, very, is relational almost in the way um, I feel related to, to a tree or to a, to a person or to a room in a oh, house. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so in that dance, there's all this emergence, and the emergence is is unexpected. I you know I don't know what's emerging, but something emerges, and then I find myself following that thing and arriving somewhere that's always as surprising to me as it could be to any viewer. But the funny thing about that point of arrival is that uh, there's a kind of coherence. There's a almost inevitable quality to the image, which um, putting aside ideas about good or bad, it's not that mm-hmm. it's good or bad. It's more that it just, it's, it's coherent. It has a, a completeness, it has a, a reality to it that makes me know I'm finished. And um, I think the coherence has something to do with the movement of energy Again, the pattern, the underlying character of the way energy moves. And when I get some piece of that character, that, that rings, that rings the bell, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sense in, in life for me of an underlying energetic dyna- dynamism that is pervasive, whether you're witnessing death or birth. It's kind of the same thing. Yes. Anything that's created uh, requires destruction, and anything that's destroyed creates something new. You yes. Know? And and that's kind of the stuff I'm thinking about when I'm painting those paintings. And that's what you're working with in these groups. That's the freeze dissolve freeze. That's the way in which you allow for. Um, a group dynamic to change, right? By dissolving it, by letting it come again and trusting and trusting. It sounds like the, the, um, as you say, the underlying dynamism, trusting what it is that's coming through you or even coming through the group, that it's going to create something new and not be afraid of that, not shy away from that. Trusting that and, and using every tool we have to understand categorically what kind of change we're dealing with. You know, there's so many different kinds of change. And as mm-hmm. we know, there's, there's slow change like the rising ocean 
and their shocking sudden change, you know, like a fire yeah. or the, the death of a president of a, of a company or, you know, something yeah. dramatic. And then there's internally motivated or driven and externally imposed change and, and, and all sorts of other kinds of change. And every different kind of change, just like every different painting, requires a new set of techniques and approaches. I think when you really are approaching this work authentically, you're putting aside style, you're putting aside formula, and you're mm. trying to really connect with what's needed in that system at that moment. And this one thing right. for me with painting, I never really developed a style or a formula in the way some artists do. Um, because every painting seems to kind of call out a, a different set of moods, um, depending on what the character of that painting turns out to be. And it, you know, it may be a tiny little brush um, making marks for three days, and it may be the big swipe of my hand across the surface. And with groups, you know, depending on where they are in the change process, uh, very different approaches might might be required. And um, opening ourselves to that, I think, is another part of coming into good relationship with, with, with change. Yes. And you are such a fine listener and, you know, I'm very aware of that when I, you know, have seen you working with other people when, uh, you know, and how you're just, how you're talking about your approach to painting. It's all about being able to listen to what is coming through and to be able to authentically respond as you say, with a strong skill set. Right. Yeah, I was very moved once when I read um, Merrily Ponty's um, ideas about uh, phenomenology, and he says, um, perception is participation. And one thing in group work that I've come to is that the, the most profound kind of participation is perception, which is really listening, observing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like really seeing what's going on. And often there's a thought that that's passive, that the person who's sitting there observing is, is in a passive role. Mm-hmm. But I think really in some ways it's it's not at all a passive role. It's it's the it's the deepest kind of participation. And and then you move from that place of deep observation um, with a completely different way than you would move. If you you know if you just came in with an idea or you came in and said well here's the way I do things and, and just proceeded, so that's right. yeah that deep listening it's it's it seems to be the core of the practice. Right, it's not passive at all. It's 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 quite active. It's it's like in the moment, responsive because it's from that listening that you get your next impulse as to what to do, as to what to suggest, as to what color to use or what stroke or what, um, you know, what to say to these two people to, you know, get them to come to agreement. It's, it's all very responsive. When I'm out painting, I'm very privileged to spend a lot of my time alone painting in nature. I'm always struck by how much time is spent listening when I watch the animals around me or even just watching the vegetation respond to microclimates or to other other growing things nearby, you just have this sense that 
there's a, there's just a lot of listening going on, um, mm-hmm. and that that's so much the way things understand the right thing to do. You know, the the, yeah. the right next move. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a brilliant conversation. I'm I'm learning so much as we're as we're going along here. Um, so our time is is coming to a close. Uh, such a rich, rich, rich conversation. So, Adam, can you tell uh, our listeners how they can get in touch with you, find out more about you? Um, how can they do that? Um, well, it's it's easy. I I have a website which is simply my name, AdamWalpert.com, and uh, you can see paintings on that uh, website. And then as far as getting in touch with me, um, you can email me at that same address, adam at adamwalpert.com. Uh, or you can get in touch with me through the organization, that, um, which is where I live and work, the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center. And our website is oaec.org. Um, I'm also adam at oaec.org. And uh, you can call me um, through the OAC number uh, if you want to call me on the phone. So that's easy. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yes, it is easy. And um, I just want to say that OAEC is an incredible place for people to learn more about being with nature and how to be with nature and their own nature and art and and uh, it's just such a such a, a gem that you all have created and continue to. Well, thank shepherd. you. Yeah, we're we're launching our new website um, soon, maybe in the next four to six weeks, and um, mm-hmm. we part a big part of it is a comprehensive uh, articulation of our theory of change, and oh, um, really getting going deeply into what what change means to us and and how how we're trying to go about affecting it. So. For the for the people studying change, that can be another another piece of the puzzle. Fantastic. Well, Adam, I thank you so much. Um, this has just been wonderful. It's been a pleasure, and it passed so quickly past. But thank you for um, for enlightening us all with this series. I look forward to listening to everyone coming up, and uh, to having um, to having that be another influence on all of us. Yeah, well, this is really, it's all about helping one another learn more about what uh, what we do and what we can do um, and how to listen, really. It's about, all about listening now. Okay, Sharon, take care. Okay, Adam, to be Bye. continued. Bye. This has been Passing for Normal, conversations about seeding change in the world. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to PassingForNormal.com. That's Passing, numeral 4, Normal.com. Her novel, Donnie and Ursula Save the World, the funniest book about love, sex, and GMOs you'll ever read, is available in paperback, Kindle, and now as an audiobook wherever good books are sold and at DonnieAndUrsula.com. So go out and do something brave today. M. Earth and I thank you.